the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Pat Vitucci says, don't invest and forget. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. The Fed makes good on its promise to raise rates by another three-quarters of a percentage point and signals more hikes are in the future, all in an effort to stave off inflation. Welcome once again to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, author, and 30-plus-year financial manager, Pat Fitucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, in its quest to bring down inflation running near the highest levels we've seen since the 1980s, the Federal Bank raised the overnight lending rate, and of course, with that, Wall Street is reacting. Let's get more insights now from Pat Fitucci. And uh, Pat, help us understand exactly the consequences of all of this. It's the first time in the history of the Federal Reserve that they've raised rates three quarters of a point for three consecutive times. And so it's kind of an unprecedented playbook. But I think Jerome Powell is digging out the playbook of Paul Volcker back to President Reagan days when Paul Volcker in a very unpopular fashion, raised rates in like fashion. But it did do the trick. It stabbed off inflation. If you remember, Ronald Reagan came in after President Carter had 12, 13, 14, 15% inflation rates. Well, our rates today are not too far off. Last I saw it was 8.3% for the past 12 months. So we're getting up in that stratosphere that's quite unpopular and some radical action needs to be taken. And so, i.e., we've got the third consecutive three-quarter of a percent rise in the interest rates. It puts it about three to three and a quarter percent at Fed funds rate, which translate means mortgage rates are over 6% now. And just three months ago, you can get a 30-year fix for around two and a half. So they've more than doubled. What does that do to the real estate economy? It absolutely kills it. A couple of realtor friends I've checked in with this week saying there is zero activity and homes that are on the market are sitting. Not much is moving. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why. It raises your mortgage payment by dramatic fashion. In the Bay Area, the average mortgage is 
anywhere from 750 to a million dollars being borrowed. That has a dramatic impact up to $1,000 more a month. So it kind of boxes out a lot of heretofore eligible people to buy those Bay Area homes. So here we are with the real estate market dropping like a rock. And what does that mean? The ramifications in other industries, Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, you're not going there to buy wallpaper and lawnmowers and grass seed because there are a lot of um, homes just sitting in that sector of the economy, in my, in my opinion, will slow dramatically in the next six to nine to 12 months. Look, it's projected. We're not going to get out of this until 2024. So if all the economists that I hear are even somewhat correct, we've got a good 12 to 18 months of pretty pathetic numbers. Higher interest rates, what does that mean? Higher unemployment. Jerome Powell's own projections are that unemployment will go to somewhere between four and four and a half percent. We've already started to see Silicon Valley lay off some people. You're not going to buy as many cars. So you'll see the auto industry slow. Almost every industry we can look at today will be affected by these higher rates. Christmas will not be as robust as we had hoped for. Stay tuned, kids. You may not get the toy you were hoping for because mom and dad are going to be stretched just to put food on the table. We know food prices are off the charts high. And in the middle of all this, we've got a midterm election. What is that going to do to the balance in the Senate and in the House? And I have suggested this in prior weeks. I've said Wall Street would love gridlock in Washington. Nothing will get done. And i.e. that means the free, open, capitalistic system will prevail. I think we'll see a little bit of a bump up. It's my view, even in all these dismal numbers, I think we'll see a little bit of refreshment, if you will, in some of the major indexes, the Dow, NASDAQ, the S&P. The stock market is not the economy. And so we've got to separate those two. Yeah, there's closely related, but it's not perfect. Keep in mind, there's an international component to our economy that generates, frankly, about 40% of the revenue comes from outside the U.S. Having said that, we've seen other economies, others, uh, other industrialized economies around the globe suffer even worse numbers than we have. So there is a correlation, certainly, between our economy and international economies. So depending upon your asset mix, where is your money today? How much of it is domestic versus international versus emerging I think it's a great time to drill down, pull out your 401k statements, really look at what your sectors are invested in. Is it time to rotate the different sectors of the economy? Clearly, I think it absolutely is. You need to pivot pretty dramatically given, again, this recent three-quarter of a point rise in the economy. So the health of our economy affects the international economies. The old adage is, if we sneeze, the rest of the world gets the flu. And so I think that's still true. The dollar is really held up wonderfully. That's good news for those traveling overseas because you're going to get more bang for your buck. It's certainly good for our exports. 
Exports, by the way, still count for about $3 trillion of the $25 trillion of the U.S. gross domestic product. So, yeah, it's still small. It's about one-seventh, but it does have, have an effect. What will happen with Jerome Powell's decision? Certainly, unemployment levels will, will rise to roughly 4 to 4.5%. So, a lot of uh, leading and lagging indicators and the headwinds are certainly gotten a little stronger in the last week, given the fact that the interest rate environment is at these lofty levels. But the dollar strength will be good for importers. And as I mentioned, if you're going to vacation abroad, you're going to get a better bang for your buck. So certainly cash is a great opportunity to hold on to your cash at this point in time. And if you've got time on your side, in my view... If you're four, five, six years away from the utility of the money, you don't need the money. To me, there's a, a giant Macy's White Flower Day sale on the stock market. The Dow is around 30,000, teetering 29, 30,000 as we speak. And the Dow was at 36,000 and change. Pretty significant opportunity if time is on your side. I'm led to believe this country will get out of this, quote, recession, if it is a recession, there's lots of definitions, and of course, the politicians are reluctant to call it a recession because it's not good for their voters. So there's all kinds of dancing around whether you want to call it a, a recession. Guess what? It's a recession, guys. So depending upon um, when you need the money, I think it's a great buying time. Look at your 401k. What are you buying every payroll period? I would tilt it, if you've got Tom on your side, to equity portions both domestic and international and emerging, depending on your appetite for risk. If you need help with any of that dollar cost averaging decision, certainly give our offices a call. And I wrote this book 15 years ago called Don't Invest and Forget. Wow, this is one of those critical periods of time where you don't want to just keep depositing money into a sector that may not have the propensity to participate more fully Again, I think it's a critical time to really reflect on where you want to be in the economy. By the way, if you're retired, this is a very difficult period of time because clearly if you're taking withdrawals out of your pre-tax money, if you can in any way mitigate that or reduce that withdrawal in, in the next 6, 12, 18 months, that would be ideal. One of the other issues that you often speak to is not just the notion of how much you earn in your investments, but of course, how much you get to keep in relationship to taxes. And while Vitucci and Associates are not tax professionals, not tax consultants, and we always encourage our listeners to go and find independent professional advice when it comes to tax decisions, perhaps, Pat, you can give us some insights into what kind of considerations do we need to keep in mind when it comes to the tax efficiency of our investments? Let's look at six types of retirement income that aren't taxable. Certainly Roth withdrawals. If you have a Roth, maybe it's a time to tilt your withdrawals to take more from your Roths because those are not taxable. Certainly if you are the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, if you've had a, a relative or a friend pass away and you um, are the beneficiary, a life insurance proceeds, again, are not taxable so that would be a really ideal way to uh, start taking income. It's certainly a time to reflect and adjust and reallocate. 
Not rebalance. Again, rebalancing just puts you back into the same percent you were before, which may be an erroneous bad decision. So reallocation, very subtly different than reallocation. We've talked about this uh, many times on this show. So be careful not to rebalance. In other words, if you had 20% in large cap stocks and it drops to 15, you put it back to 20 and large caps are not the place to be because that's where that sector may not recover as quickly as other sectors. As opposed to reallocation, taking a, a more thorough look at what sectors will be more participative given where we are in the economy, given the Federal Reserve's position, given the unemployment numbers, given the real estate issue. And how about your sector? What industry are you in? And are you potentially going to be affected by this slowing of GDP growth? We're all going to be affected in one way, shape, or form. And it's not going to be by next weekend, it'll be resolved. You don't get out of these doldrums by waving a magic wand. Uh, as much as we'd like to think Jerome Powell has his finger on the pulse of what's going on, it's going to, in my view, take a good year to year and a half to dig out of this mess. All right. So that said, I'm curious. You, you always remind investors and listeners that it's important to be proactive and forward thinking. Let's take a moment, Pat, if we can, and do that by going back for a moment. If we analyze the last really significant inflationary period in the United States about 40 years ago, we saw inflation rates running 1980, for example, 13.5 percent kind of makes the 8.26 we had in August pale a bit by comparison. But here's the whopper that really sets people back on their heels. Maybe perhaps a lot of folks have forgotten that a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage in 1981 was 18.45%, which I guess by comparison really underscores just how ridiculous this 0 to 25 basis points that the Fed had been babysitting for, whoa, all of these years. Given what we've seen historically in the past, both in terms of inflation rates as well as efforts by the Fed to try and ease that by increasing lending rates, do you get the sense that most of the pain is over with? There's been a lot of people reticent to open up the monthly envelopes. They just don't want to know because they know that the numbers every month seem to decline. So what do you say to the person who was paralyzed at this moment? doesn't know what to do, and so instead does absolutely nothing, just how much potential jeopardy is their IRA, their 401k, their personal savings in, if they don't actively get in there and start to review their standings today and do some of that rebalancing that you've spoken of in relationship to trying to get out of those sectors of the market that are stagnant and will remain stagnant for, obviously, the foreseeable future. Doing nothing is probably not a good idea. Taking those statements out and reviewing exactly what sectors you are invested in, having an honest look. And, you know, you don't want to get emotionally tied into, well, I made this decision two or three quarters ago. And so I'm going to obstinately be tied to that decision because I don't want to face the fact that I may have been wrong. Guess what? Market conditions have changed 180 degrees. You need to take that fresh look based on where the world is today, taking an honest, fresh look at the allocation mix that you have 
I think is essential. And guess what? If you need help with that, we've got 14 Bay Area offices. We can meet with you in any one of those offices. We could do phone calls. We could do Zoom calls. Give you some guidance, in our opinion, of where you should be based on your numbers, your net worth, your income, your tax bracket, your family structure. There's so many components that goes into a risk appetite. Keep in mind, you know, you had mentioned, Craig, when Volcker raised interest rates in 1980, government debt was only, quote unquote, $907 billion, or about 30% of the size of the economy. $907 billion. Guess what? Move the clock forward today. U.S. debt stands at $28 trillion. Very frighteningly, 125% of the U.S. economy. So we've gone from 30% of the economy to 125% of the economy. Means that our debt is worth 25% more than our economic output each year. We've talked on this show repeatedly about debt levels. And guess what? There's not one politician in Sacramento or Washington, D.C., that gives a flying hoot about debt. They don't care. All they want to do is spend some more money. We've seen this Debt Reduction Act, Student Reduction Act. That was a trillion-dollar decision. Supporting uh, Ukraine, albeit honorably, but again, $50 billion adds to our debt level. So we're a little naive and we're a little bit turning our back to the fundamentals of the economy. And I got nobody to blame, but our politicians love to spend money on all kinds of goodies. It just never seems to end. There is this ignorance about will the system collapse under the the heavy debt levels of the USA? Look at Venezuela and other countries that have spent a whole lot more than their GDP levels, gross domestic product levels. It rarely ends on a fun ending story. It is serious stuff. And if there's ever a crisis with Putin rattling his saber sword, talking about nuclear war or China invading Taiwan, and we go into a serious world war or skirmish of any kind, these debt levels are not sustainable. So we've got to start paying attention This is not a political show, but politics spills over into your wallet and my wallet, Craig. And and until we understand that fully, it's naive to think we can go on with 125% debt levels. If you want to retire someday and not be beholden and making sure your balance sheet does not parallel the government's balance sheet, they can print money. You and I can't print money. You and I will live under highway if we act in like fashion to what the government has been doing. Be careful. John and Mary's debt levels are really important, especially as we go through a potential recession for the next 12 to 18 months. If you are feeling perhaps a bit paralyzed, uncertain of what to do, what the next step ought to be in your strategy toward retirement planning, well, you know, they say that a long journey begins with the first step. Maybe for you, that first step is picking up the phone and calling a member of the Don't Invest and Forget advisory team and getting a second opinion. An hour-long one-on-one meeting, either in person, by phone, or over the Internet, can give us some deeper understanding in terms of where you are today and what your progress looks like along the way. So take that first step. Make that call. Go online 
to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com and easily schedule your appointment or if you prefer, call toll-free 888-PLANWISE. That's 888-PLANWISE. Pat Fittucci says don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. My special guest today, Timothy Clark. Timothy is the author of Epic Change, How to Lead Change in the Global Age. His book discusses the many challenges businesses are faced with today in order to stay competitive and learning to lead in times of constant change, which is the key to bottom line success. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Tim, what was your motivation for putting you through this grueling process? You know, that's an interesting story. I did my doctoral work at Oxford University, and when I came back, I thought, you know, I want to be a professor, but I ended up taking a different path, and I went into manufacturing, and I actually became a plant manager in the steel and pipe industry. And I had one of those kind of crucible experiences where we went into a severe downturn in the economy, and the company that I was working for, we actually had to shutter the operations and close the plant. And so because of that experience, it just kind of thrust me into this arena of globalization and change and what it does to leaders and what leaders need to do to respond. It absolutely captured my interest. And so from there, I went into research and consulting and began doing work with leaders and organizations in the area of major change. And so clearly, business leaders today are challenged by constant ever so fast moving set of criteria that they need to make crisp, sharp decisions that can really, in your example, suggest success or not success. And sometimes there are elements that are out of control, whether it's cost of labor or the market you were in is now no longer there. It's gone the other way or as the degree and the pace of change escalated so quickly now that it's really, really difficult. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing new about change, but what is new is that there's more of it and it's coming faster. A couple of the examples that I use in the first chapter of the book are pretty interesting. For example, I look at the National Football League. 20 years ago, there wasn't a single player that tipped the scales at over 300 pounds. Today, there are 580 of those players, a fully 20% of the entire player population. Now, that's an interesting trend, but what's more interesting to me is the acceleration in the last few years. I'll give you another example. In the NBA, take a look at the mobility of labor. We've got in 1979, I think it was, when Larry Bird came into the league, we had four players that were international. This year, we've got 82 players that come from overseas who are on NBA roster. So again, the acceleration of the change, the acceleration of the pattern in the last few years is what really gets our attention. And that is just an indication and a reflection of what's going on across industry. And so the real challenge of a business leader is to not only stay focused on the business, but also to take a couple steps backward, take that 30,000 foot view of the business and look at the rudimentary fundamentals that are driving that industry and attempt to guide that business in the direction that will make it continue to be success. That's right, Pat. In my research, what I did is I looked at 53 different organizations and I didn't just look at business organizations. I took a look at schools, hospitals, government agencies, and even nonprofit organizations. And what I found is that the successful organizations and the most successful change leaders, they follow this common pattern, what I call the epic process, where they begin with the step of evaluating. And this goes to your question. 
question. They're evaluating their internal performance, and they're also evaluating the external environment. And they're doing this all the time. It's a continuous process. Those that do it well do it all the time, and it's everybody's job, not just senior leadership. Those that don't become complacent. And the interesting relationship that I also found is that success tends to lead to complacency. So if you've had a lot of success as a leader or as an organization, there's a tendency that that success will slowly put you to sleep over time. You won't be as vigilant. You won't be evaluating your market and trends and the earliest signs of change that you should be focusing on. In your book, you kind of elaborate on some of those factors that really are critically important to understand, and failure to continue to evaluate gets you into pretty big trouble, doesn't it? It does. And this takes us back to the fundamental role of a leader, which is to maintain competitive advantage rather than to maintain the status quo. And sometimes leaders get this mixed up. There's nothing sacred about the status quo. If it's providing you competitive advantage, that's fine. Go with it. But you've got to keep in mind that that competitive advantage is going to melt away over time. And so you've got to prepare yourself to regain or sustain that competitive advantage. And you do that through continuous evaluation. That's the first step. Once you've decided that you've got to do something, that the status quo is no longer acceptable, then you move into the second step of the epic process, which is preparation. Most of the time, we're kind of taught that the change process begins with preparation. But what I found is, no, you've got to go one step back and begin with evaluation. That's where it really begins. Reading your book, it really tied so consistently with our message when we talk to our clients, don't invest and forget. I wrote a book with the same title, Don't Invest and Forget, because the fundamentals of their portfolio needs to be adjusted in line with where the markets are going. And so your topic is so salient and so pertinent. I thought this is a guy I'd really like to talk to because you're brilliant. You think like me. (laughs) So that makes makes me pretty darn smart. But seriously, given the fact that you understand, you've pointed out with such eloquence in your book about the fundamentals, the rudimentary conditions that whatever you're doing are changing at an even faster and faster pace. And our don't invest and forget message really is pretty consistent with yours is that we talk about you can't just buy and put X dollars in a large cap stock fund or in a utility fund or an emerging market fund today and forget about it. A lot of folks are busy and they're not passionate or they go to a commission-based person and say, here, let me sell this to you. And they're immediately forgotten about. And so we're continually adjusting and reevaluating and redeploying our monies, which really ties in with your message as well. I think it does. I think the fundamental principles are the same. For example, the context of leading change is really the competitive cycle. And so if you're evaluating the business that you're in, your industry, trends, you'll see that you have a competitive cycle. What you've got to figure out is how long is that competitive cycle going to last? And have you calibrated yourself with the pace of that competitive cycle so that you know when you're headed into obsolescence and when you've got to make some adjustments? So you're going to go through cycle after cycle. And as a leader in an organization, you're going to qualify yourself and then you're going to requalify. And you're going to do that over and over again as you move from one competitive cycle to the next. Timothy Clark joins me. Tim is the author of Epic Change, How to Lead Change in the Global Age. Tim, in the last segment, we talked about the rapid pace of change. As you mentioned earlier, there is always have been changed, there always will be change, but it's just coming a lot faster at us, which certainly challenges business leaders. What are some of the key things you suggest leaders watch for and kind of keep their finger on the pulse? 
Well, one of the things that I suggest, and, and this is based on the research, typically we have taught leaders to gain literacy in three areas. Number one, yourself, you know, understand yourself, get to a high level of self-awareness. Number two, understand your organization, understand how it does what it does, how it converts inputs to outputs, how it creates value. Number three, we've taught leaders, understand your market, understand your industry, understand what's going on there. What I've added to those three things based on my research is the fourth level of awareness or literacy, and that's global. And so I've added a global literacy requirement for leaders today. And the reason that is is because the things that will threaten you tomorrow are often not even on the radar screen in your market because things move so rapidly, you've got to look way off into the offing to see the earliest signs of change, which may be often another industry. They may be macro level trends or changes that will make their way to threaten your business very, very quickly. So you've got to scale your awareness and you've got to look further beyond the boundaries of your own market. So that's why I say there's a fourth requirement today, and that is global literacy. This makes me think, Tim, of, I'm not sure if it was Newsweek, had pictures of the three leaders on Wall Street where they missed the mark. I think the headline was something like, how dumb could these leaders have been (laughs) to have missed the fundamentals of where that market was going at the time? Was it just bad judgment? Was it greed? It was a discourse about if these are the brightest minds on Wall Street and they missed it, is there any hope for anybody in the lower chains? That is an absolutely fantastic example, Pat. I think what people fail to realize, and by the way, these are the brightest analysts on Wall Street who missed this because what they said from the outset is subprime mortgages only account for 10 to 15 percent of the market. Therefore, this will be isolated. We'll let it run its course and it'll be done. What they did not realize or could not see is the interdependency, both in the prime markets and internationally. They completely missed it. How is it possible that they couldn't see this? Because they misinterpreted the interdependency, which is the theme of a global age. There's more interdependency, there's more integration among markets than ever before. Tim, two of my business idols are Stephen Jobs and Jack Welch. And I couldn't help but see your quote in your book about Jack Welch. Jack says, there's no edict in the world that will make people take risks. And so business leaders do have to take risks and take their best guess at where their market's going or where their fundamental change is moving towards and take the company in that direction. But given the choice, we'd rather not take risks. Jack Welch's history speaks for itself time in and time out. We all know all of his other successes. Are these guys just so ingenious in their creativity and prediction of where the markets are going? I don't think it's about genius so much, Pat, as it is about credibility. This is one of the issues that I drilled down on in my research to understand why are people willing to go at risk with their leaders? And what I found, and I interviewed over 300 leaders at all levels to understand this issue, credibility is made up of four elements. The first one is character. People want to be able to predict your behavior. And so they're going to say, you know what, if I earned returns on trusting you in the past, then I'm going to trust you again. So number one is character based on fairness and integrity. Number two element is professional competence. People are going to evaluate you, put you under the lamp, and try and figure out if you have the professional competence and skills to take us on the change journey. The third element of credibility is commitment. By that, I mean, 
Are you personally committed? For example, when Jack Welch said, we're going to be number one or number two in all these industries or we're going to get out of the market, are you personally committed to what you are professing publicly? So you're going to be evaluated on that personal commitment. And the fourth element of credibility is personal concern. We all realize that change is a risk and no leader can control the outcome completely. So I'm going to look at you as my leader. I'm going to see if you demonstrate personal concern for me and if you care about the outcome and the impact on me. So if you combine all of those four elements, character, competence, commitment, and concern, they combine to provide credibility. So if you look at Jack Welch, you have the balance and the stability and the power of those four elements. And so people say, you know what? I am going to go at risk with you because there's a good chance that we're going to make it. And by the way, if we don't change, there's probably a greater risk in keeping things the same. Whereas other leaders, if they have some kind of serious deficiency in one of those four elements of credibility, that can be a fatal flaw. And you as a leader will not pass the smell test and people will say, you know what, it may be a good idea, may be a good vision, but I just don't think I can sign up with this person. You know, in our business, when we deal directly with the investing public, I think your comment about character is so critically important. Sadly, like many industries, there are some who will say one thing and do something else. And I think it's the character, the fabric of who you are, the moral compass you carry with you every day. That's what people believe in. You can take people, have them walk on water if they believe in you because they're trusting in your character. It's absolutely right. One of the things that I, I write in the book is that credibility is the hard currency in the stock and trade of leadership. And the heart of that credibility is the character issue because people have got to believe that you're going to act in the best interest of the organization. You're going to act in the best interest of someone's assets, someone's portfolio, all of those things. You're going to put those first before you put any personal interest. Once a person believes that, once they cross that sort of threshold of conviction and they believe that you are that kind of person, they are apt to go at risk with you. They will follow you. My special guest today, Timothy Clark. Tim wrote a great book, Epic Change, How to Lead Change in the Global Age. If you have any questions for Tim or myself, or if you'd like to sign up for a no-obligation consultation, call our toll-free number today. We will gladly review your portfolio and evaluate what you're doing with your portfolio relative to where the market is and then give you some suggestions. Call our toll-free number today for your no-obligation consultation, one plan wise That's 1-888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. That's 1-888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining me and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thanks for having me, Pat. My pleasure. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to DontInvestAndForget.com. That's DontInvestAndForget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit DontInvestAndForget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.